0: government we all know it's important to understand be it state local or national but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to well drink if so you're in the right place i'm angel romero your politics and pints of and this is ballots and brews where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local state and national government and what you can do about it it's schoolhouse rocks meets the daily show meets c-span so let's get this show started Well, hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Ballots and Brews. We, uh, as we do every night, have another full show for you. Uh, we are going to be recapping a Tuesday night's mayoral and city council candidate forum. Um, if you didn't have a chance to attend that, or even if you did and just want to hear our thoughts on uh, what happened on Tuesday night, all the, the kind of nuggets of goodness that came out of that event. Uh, and of course, we will have our tasting fight, as always, where we'll touch on the latest and greatest happening in state and local uh, government and politics. Um, but before we get to any of that, we will start, as we always do, with beer. Uh, so tonight we are so excited to have on our show uh, a returner, one of our favorites on the show, one of the co-owners of Norseman Brewing Company, Jared Rudy. There, uh, Jared, thanks for being with us tonight.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Angel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we haven't talked, I think, on the show since last spring. So how was the summer at Norseman? I know things were, were pretty busy in Noto, so I imagine things
1: were, were busy for you guys as well oh yeah definitely uh, without a doubt it's just been insanely busy and in noto and just uh everything going around between the, our new food options and new beer options and everything else that we have going on in our event space so yeah it's uh tons of hours
0: <laughs> that, that's awesome that's well, and have you have you noticed a, an uptick in people you think people feel maybe a little bit more comfortable about uh the situation of going out and things like that
1: Oh, I think it's still 50-50. Sure. Um, the, the, there's the half the population that are definitely willing to come out and do things, and there's the other 50 who aren't are quite as comfortable with it. Um, so we do see occasional slowdowns here and there, but when it's busy, it's busy. Sure,
0: sure. Well, and thankfully, you guys still have growlers to go and food to go that people can order as well.
1: Yep, correct. Yep, We added food back last November, and that's yeah. been going Awesome. And so that gives everybody the opportunity now, um, especially for those who maybe not or not as comfortable as coming out they can at least uh, get food and beer uh, to go
0: absolutely yeah I was gonna say last time we talked that you were just kind of rolling out that food menu
1: so so how have things gone what's been the response from folks uh, the response has been overwhelmingly very good awesome. uh, but there definitely has been some learning curves to <laughs> it um, particularly uh, around uh, you know finding you know good staffing to run and you know you know everybody's having problems with stacking right now sure. so it's not something uncommon to us sure. uh, but it's definitely uh, an issue and uh, we're um, starting to get to the point now uh, like i said uh, we opened that in november of last year so here in about a little bit in about a month or so we're going to be celebrating one year of having that kitchen open oh wow and uh, quite the ride it has been <laughs> yeah we got ourselves a really good kitchen manager in place uh, currently he's rocking it back there with the good staff uh, so it's uh, doing very well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And for for folks who may not be too familiar, do you want to kind of remind them what kind of food options they can expect to find
1: at Norseman? So Norseman, our food options, we kind of call it, a, a you know, Norwegian Scandinavian inspired fair, yeah. um, but heavily American Americanized. So <laughs> you, you'll have things like we, we still have a burger um, there, but we also specialize in things like uh, we call them trencher sandwiches. So it's the old mm. school. um what they would call, um, and Scandinavian smore broad, which is pretty much, they're like an open face sandwich, kind of, but around here when you think open face sandwich, you think, you know, roast beef, gravy, mashed sure. potatoes, stuff like that on Texas toast. And that's not what uh, we're talking about here. We're talking about, uh, you know, rye bread, sourdough bread with, uh, you know, uh, some fish um, greens um, stuff like that, that uh, or like meatballs you know Scandinavian um, house made meatballs that yeah. we make we have a an appetizer with that we can get some meatballs on top of you know a dopp of mashed potatoes um, we also have a trencher sandwich that uses those those two are actually very popular um, and then we also have a bunch of salads and desserts. And so there's a little bit of something for every everyone. Um, some of the items may um, make you like, you know, stretch your <laughs> what you think you might like in food. But sure. really, once you start eating it, it, it really is what you're used to around here. It's just been plated and served in a little bit different style
2: absolutely
0: yeah well, I always encourage people to, to expand their, their palate a little bit get yeah. out venture out their comfort zone a little bit that's never a bad thing uh, <laughs> and full- that's
1: something <laughs> right and you know something real important to Norwegian cooking is, is trying to utilize uh, your local surroundings and what, oh, okay. what you have available you can walk outside into your backyard you know what, what do you have growing back there that you can utilize uh, to you know to put on as garnishes or add flavor to your, your dishes and so forth so we work really hard Hard at um, especially with our garnishes and stuff, using local um, farms oh, awesome. as much as we can um, yeah. to to get that get those type of things and and incorporate that into um, our food dishes. Absolutely. Full
0: disclosure for those listening, we are recording this over the lunch hour today and so now I am very, very hungry for Norseman <laughs> food. So, mission accomplished. That was some smart thinking there on, on my part today. Well, you know, Jared, what's what's going on now um, at your local? you i got to talk about some new drinks and I assume, of course, that we are in Oktoberfest season as well. So, what can folks um, expect when they come up there now?
1: Well, our, you know, in all, actually, our Oktoberfest is uh, we do have it on um, tap at the moment, but it is um, in short supply and about out. Uh, traditionally, the Oktoberfest in Germany right, is for the second week of September through the first weekend in October. Gotcha. So we're te- Technically, we're out of Oktoberfest, uh, um, if you wanted to go that direction, but it is fall season. And fall season is the best season, <laughs> in my opinion, uh, to drink beer, and Oktoberfest goes really well with that. We also have a Festbia uh, that uh, we are in the process of making. It's, it's currently for Meaning, which is um, usually it's kind of your a little bit stronger version of an October fest and a little bit lighter golden color. That's uh, what you typically would see in October Fest, and if you went to Germany, uh, we're really releasing that too. It's a good fall um, uh, drink, also. So, uh, tons cool. of new beer offerings. We try to we try to get something new every couple of weeks, if not every week. Uh, so just keep an eye on our Facebook feed and Twitter feed and all that, jazz.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's fun. I was talking to to Marnie uh, for Happy Bassett uh, the other week about this. Is is like is October fifth season like pumpkin spice season for brewers? Like, is that the equivalent for for you guys?
1: Uh, maybe October uh, to me a pumpkin spice. I tend to do that like around November, December when it kind of gets ah, colder we go. and that spice spices come out. Uh, you know, it's a good Thanksgiving beer or something that you drink. You know, a bigger beer you tend to drink like around the fireplace or something like that. But um, it comes to fall offerings, I'm more about uh, you know kind of a light golden beer or an amber beer with with some good uh, malt up front malt uh, maltiness to it which some people kind of take as maybe being a little sweet but but, uh, those beers tend to do really good and you know when the leaves are falling off the the trees and uh, you're enjoying a nice cool breeze and you know out the back patio absolutely so
0: yeah very cool well and, and uh, speaking of, of fall and of course halloween coming up uh, you have a very very cool uh, uh van feature coming uh to uh to the brewery here soon a new pop-up bar actually last week we of course <laughs> talked about the the pennants pop-up bar but you guys have a pop-up bar that is halloween themed, just in time for a season you want to talk about that <laughs>
1: Yeah, this pop-up bar is very unique. Uh, it is very cool. It is actually a pop-up bar made by the dead for the dead, <laughs> and so uh, expect uh, some spookiness. Um, you, you you will get a lantern. You have to enter. Um, you know, we, we transverse you from the, the land of the living uh, to the land of the undead, where you will be served um, amazing cocktails. <laughs> um, and so you'll get to traverse through a maze on your way to this, uh, underworld, as you want to say, and inside there, um, lots of decorations, um, spookiness, all kinds of really cool things that we, we've worked really hard at, at, uh, putting this almost like a set together, um, for everybody. So it is an experience. Yeah. And it doesn't cost, it does not cost anything to enter. Um, but you may have to leave your soul when you leave. So.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I am an attorney and so we are used to selling souls. So that's, that's uh, not a big stretch for for me. So <laughs> that's, that's way cool. So what are the, the dates on when that's going to be up and running?
1: So um, it's going to run Thursday, Friday, Saturday through the whole month of October, including okay. Halloween night. Nice. Uh, it's going to be six, 6 p.m. to close. So uh, 6 p.m. to 9 on Thursdays and 6 to 11 friday and saturdays and um, we have 13 different craft cocktails that have specifically designed oh wow uh, for this uh, uh spook easy as we're, we're calling it and one of them is made for four people it's a big big drink um we can't even sell it to you um as uh, you have to be at least two people to get it so <laughs> it's a big drink that's pretty cool i think people will like and you get to drink out of like a like a uh, like what you used to carry around you know to get candy on the olden days oh yeah so it's pretty cool that's awesome. Any, any drink that
0: has a minimum of two people to under, undertake, I think is pretty, it's pretty awesome. And I, I <laughs> yeah. know some people that I think I could talk into that with me. So mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome. Well, very cool. Is that, and as that's, that's been something that you guys have just wanted to do for a
1: while, we've always wanted to utilize our event space up there uh, more for uh, pop-ups like this. You know, yeah. a lot of people, we've been open for five years and we, there's still a ton of people who don't realize that we even have a space up above of yeah. um, uh, when they say up above they always think that little mezzanine that fits dirty but no we indeed have a 160 person event space that we run out for weddings and corporate parties and stuff like that and, and having the spookies not only does it allow us to um, bring out our creative side uh, but also helps us you know let people know hey there's something up here that uh, we didn't even know there was absolutely and I do think we're the first of this type to do uh, I mean this this is a fully themed yeah 100 um, themed um, (laughs) All in type of uh, uh, Spook easy that we have developed for you guys
0: Oh absolutely yeah I was going to say I I can't think of anything else like that in in Topeka so that is way cool So uh, again folks you're every Thursday Friday and Saturday throughout the month of October uh, and including Halloween night uh, Make it up to Norseman Spook easy 13 different uh, Cocktails including one that has A minimum of of two folks uh, to, To consume that's that's pretty Awesome so make sure to check out make sure to post on That's social media as well We want to see your Your pictures We want to see How scared any of you are Full Full disclosure I I am a a Total scaredy cat When it comes to all things Halloween and haunted houses So If there's anything Remotely scary You will You will probably see me Freak out a little bit But it's okay It's gonna be fine It's gonna be worth
1: it For sure And a couple last Middle things on that Uh, We do have limited seating Up there So there may be a line You know Even if we get We can fit about 40 people up there We want to keep it small And intimate yeah. Um, and the goal is really, this, think of this as kind of like a haunted house. You know, you don't t- typically hang out in a haunted house all night. You kind of walk through and experience it and then yeah. talk about it with your friends and have a good time. The same thing could be applied here. You know, the goal here is to come through, kind of experience it, have a couple cocktails, and uh, then move on and tell it so other people can also enjoy it. It is 21 and over. Awesome. Uh, so make sure people keep that in mind. And we also do have a really cool photo. We, we set up a little photo. Spot up there, so we're going to yes. probably have some type of a contest uh, for people taking photos and posting them um, on their feeds.
0: Very cool, us! Awesome. I cannot wait to try this out. This is going to be so cool. And again, for those of you folks out there, make sure if you if you go, uh, feel free to tag us on social media. We want to see your photos and, and see you uh, see you checking that place out. So that's going to be awesome, uh, Jared. Thanks so much for for hanging out with us tonight.
1: Um, thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Me. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, folks, again, a reminder to check out Norseman um, at any time. You get, go down there for lunch and check out some of their amazing food um, that they've got there. And of course, you get to hurry down and get the last of the Oktoberfest beer before it is all gone. Um, and then do not miss uh, the Spooky happening every weekend uh, throughout October, including on Halloween night. Way, way cool, unique event happening right here in Topeka. And go ahead and stay tuned, folks. Up next, we, of course, will have your beer flight of the night where we'll recap all. The local happenings in state and local government you are listening to ballots and brews here on case seven eight five live radio
2: 785 Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now. And we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com and thanks for tuning in.
0: Welcome back, folks. It is time for tonight's Beer Flight of the Night, where, of course, we recap the latest and greatest happenings in state and local. And tonight, even a little bit of the federal government all served up brew style. So tonight, we are going to start off with our scent. Stout. Uh, Stouts, of course, are known for their coffee-like flavor and speaking of coffee, the Scent organization is giving a good boost of energy to the Highcrest neighborhood in East Topeka. Uh, Scent, of course, is a nonprofit organization Scent standing for Strengthening and Equipping Neighborhoods Together. So there you go, you could add that fun fact to your, your trivia board tonight. Um, the whole purpose of the Scent organization, they operate in the Highcrest neighborhood um, in East Topeka. Some of you may have heard heard of Highcrest, and and know that it's a neighborhood that faces some pretty significant challenges uh, related to everything from crime, uh, poverty, affordable housing, you name it. Um, The city of of Topeka, every couple years, uh, just to provide some more information, every couple years, the city prepares what they call a neighborhood health map. Um, And that neighborhood health map, if you've ever seen it before, uh, the city goes through and they rate neighborhoods um, all throughout the city of Topeka, um, and it's a color-coded map, and so it goes from colors that are bright blue which are healthy neighborhoods um, all the way through to neighborhoods that are pink which are out which are um, those uh, neighborhoods that are at risk um, and those red neighborhoods which are intensive care neighborhoods um, those red and pink neighborhoods are considered to be some of the neighborhoods that are our most challenged neighborhoods in our community uh, and for for many years Highcrest has resided uh, within that bright red um, intensive care neighborhood spot. Um, I will say, um, recently with the release of the most recent um, City of Topeka Neighborhood Health Map, there's been some progress. Um, Half of the Highcrest neighborhood has now moved from that red intensive care to the pink at-risk category. Um, So still a a challenging position to be in, but it has moved up over time. Um, But needless to say, this is a, a neighborhood in southeast Topeka that uh, has a, a number of challenges. When we look at everything from infant mortality rates, having some of the highest infant mortality rates in the entire state of Kansas. Um, it's the neighborhood that has, in Shawnee County, the highest rates of sink cases, which are child in need of care cases. Um, it's, a, it's a a neighborhood where a significant number of, of young people express a gang affiliation by the age of 13. So we're talking about a neighborhood that has some really tough challenges. So the scent organization 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 recently stepped in just a few years ago um, to really kind of fill the shoes and take on some work that was started before them um, by the Topeka Rescue Mission with their NetReach program. Um, The whole purpose of of that program and since work now has been to really dig in and come alongside individuals in the Highcrest community, not to tell folks in that community what's what's good for them and what they should be doing, but to really come alongside residents um, and empower them to improve their own communities. One of the biggest areas of focus for Scent, and SENT is doing a lot of work in Highcrest, one of their biggest areas of focus has been housing. Um, and as we'll talk about more here in a little bit, housing was a big topic during Tuesday night's uh, candidate forum um, for the mayoral and city council candidates, and housing has remained a, a big topic um, amongst uh, uh, city government. And Highcrest really is a perfect example of the challenge that the city faces when it comes to safe and affordable housing. Um, consider this uh, for Instance. So, when you look at a lot of the homes in Highcrest, if you were to drive through that neighborhood, you would see a lot of homes um, that may, from the outside, look okay. Um, But what you might not see on the inside is that these are homes that, first off, were only designed to live in for one generation. Um, A lot of these homes were homes that were originally built for people who were displaced by the 1951 flood in Topeka. They were designed to be lived in for one generation. Um, But of course, we're here in 2021 and we have now multiple generations living in these homes. Um, There are homes that at some uh, some places do not have uh, insulation in them. Uh, Some homes may not have uh, electricity. You'll sometimes see electrical cords running from one home to another because they're providing electricity to the other home. um, You might have a home that is missing part of its roof. Um, You have these homes that have significant challenges And if you can think to yourself, you know, thinking what you know about some of these homes and and think about what you would expect the rent to be for a home um, in that condition. A vast majority of homes in the Highcrest neighborhood um, are rental properties. Um, Even despite those challenges, what the city of Topeka um, tells us is the median income or excuse me, the median uh, rent for homes in Highcrest is between seven to eight hundred dollars a month. And that's again for homes that may not have any insulation, may not have electricity, may not have all those essential kinds of things, and we're talking seven to nine hundred dollars a month. Um, so this is a, a neighborhood that faces significant challenges with housing, uh, with affordable housing, and much of it is brought on by landlords who, quite frankly, don't live in a community and don't care much for the homes in that community. They are, for lack of a better word, a slumlord. Um, they have no incentive to keep up these homes, um, and so many of them have fallen into disrepair with really no consequences uh, for the landlords in that area. Um, so housing is an issue that Scent has really zeroed in on, and they have their eyes on some pretty big projects. Um, they have really worked to uh, work with private donors and others to acquire about 29 acres of land that lies along this area that's along Southeast Fremont Street off of 29th Street uh, between Kansas Avenue and Southeast Adams. Um, so again, they own 29 acres of that land and they have a, a vision for what they see that land becoming. Um, the first part of their plan really involves a new housing subdivision uh, which would consist of 39 homes of mixed income, meaning some would be affordable um, housing rates, and the others would charge more of a premium housing rate. Um, they've also partnered with a group out of Kansas City called the Acquisition Group, uh, which will be sort of a co-developer in this process to really help guide set as they develop uh, this, this area. Um, they are one of several partners on the project that other partners include local realtors, local developers, um, and that sort of thing, really to develop homes uh, that can meet the needs of people in the community and help them grow and be successful. And all of this, folks, is just the beginning. Um, Once they get folks into homes, the next step really looks at developing that community more. So it calls for things like a community center, uh, like condominiums to be built over the community center, a food co-op to help with food insecurity. There is a food desert that exists in the Highcrest neighborhood. And so there's plans for a a future food co-op as well. Lots of really exciting things are envisioned for these 29 acres of of land to really help support that neighborhood. um, recognizing that housing is the thing that's needed most to get people to a safe and secure place. Uh, Now, full confession, if I sound like I'm really nerding out about this, most of you listening know that I work for United Way of Greater Topeka, so I obviously think this is fabulous news and have had the chance to work with SENT um, projects before, Um, but I also think that this kind of development speaks to how I think that we're going to be able to work towards more equitable development in the city. That is a big another area, along with housing, that's a big area of discussion and concern for many is how do we invest in our community equitably? Um, And this is one example. These types of private-public partnerships that put nonprofits together of businesses and government are ultimately what I think are going to be the key to investing in parts of our community that historically have not been invested in. Um, Of course, I am not a member of the city council for a number of reasons, Um, but if I were, um, I'd be paying close attention to what's going on in the Highcrest neighborhood. So more to come on that. Uh, Up next on our beer flight tonight is the Trash Day IPA. Uh, This is really just a fun reminder that when we talk about why local government is so important, it's because of stuff like this. Your trash just got much more expensive in Shawnee County as of Monday. Uh, That's right. At Monday's county commission meeting, commissioners voted to increase the solid waste department's residential trash collection fee by 5%, which essentially equals an extra 96 cents for you, folk and an extra dollar and two cents for people outside the city. Uh, that rate hike, hike will not take effect until January of 2022 so you've got some time to shop around in other words. Um, before then, I for one just want to note how disappointed I was in the lack of trash related puns at the county commission meeting. There was no mentioning about how this rate hike was really uh, really stunk. Uh, there was no, no talk about how it was time to trash the old rate schedule. This is probably why I don't work for local government. I am far too punny for my own good. Uh, Let's see. Next up on our beer flight tonight is probably our most exciting beer of the night. It is the hashtag KSLedgeBach. Uh, Most Bach beers can be described as a mix of sweet and nutty, which I believe is also how most people would describe the Kansas legislature. Uh, In this case, though, brace yourself, this is one of those rare times when we're actually excited for some possible legislative action. Uh, You may remember that in the last legislative session, the legislature's one act of heroism was to make to-go cocktails permanently legal. Um, And it turns out that might just be the beginning of the legislature's boozy lawmaking. Uh, We should mention the whole point of the legislature's uh, uh, decision to make to-go drinks permanent was to give a boost to bars and restaurants who were hit hard by the pandemic. And while those changes have helped them recover, there is still more work to be done. Um, As a for instance, you may remember that your Sunday fun days can start a little earlier now because the legislature allowed cities to uh, enact uh, ordinances to allow earlier Sunday liquor sales. Uh, The key there is that the legislature allowed cities to open up their hours, cities still had to on their own accord expand these hours which of course we did here in the city of Topeka and many places have throughout the state of Kansas though there are still a few holdouts who have not taken advantage of that law and to those folks I say you are more than welcome to drink a can mimosa with me on a Sunday morning here in Shawnee County at any time and a side note by the way did you all know that they make mimosas that come in a can it's a genius they have them now at Iron Rail for their brunch and I swear to god it's a Best thing ever. It's probably a good idea. I didn't realize that until now. But anyway. Uh, the legislature actually has a whole committee that is going to begin looking at beer and liquor laws when the legislature returns in January, we don't know for sure yet what all measures they will consider but it is likely that a lot of the legislation that they'll consider will be aimed at increasing the availability of booze uh, we're talking potentially ordering beer online and maybe even getting it delivered to your house, I know, I know get excited, um, all this is speculation of course, um, it is safe to say though that we have come a long. Way from our carrying Nation days in this state. So, if you've got a drink in your hand right now, feel free to have a toast in her honor. And just a note that I am in no way responsible if for a uh, rather Carry Nation's ghost comes back to haunt any of us tonight. Just say it. And finally, it's been a little while since we've talked about the feds, but I suppose we probably should a little bit, Uh, so we're going to finish our beer flight tonight with the shutdown sour. Yes, if you haven't been following, the federal government is on the verge of shutting down for about the 11 quadrillionth time in the last few years. Okay, really, it's been like 14 times, but it feels like it's been a lot more than that. Uh, Congress is currently staring down a Thursday night deadline to pass a budget bill that would be Uh, Tonight, if you're listening to this show live, um, they have that deadline to pass a budget bill before the federal government turns into a pumpkin and everything has to shut down. Oh, and to make things more fun, turns out that we are also reaching our debt ceiling as a country. Yes, it turns out there actually is a self-imposed limit to how much money we as a country can borrow. Now, of course, the difference between you and I is that when we reach our limit, Visa says no more and you're left having to find another way to pay for that whole round of drinks for everyone at the bar. But when you're Congress, you can just decide to raise the debt ceiling, which in theory sounds easy. One would think Uh, the problem is we've got some people who think the debt ceiling is there for a reason and we should raise it. But try to brace ourselves actually reduce our spending and live within our means Uh, there's also the other side of course that says that's all good and well but we've got like one day to figure this out before things go to hell so let's do what we have to do and worry about all that later Uh, So where are we right now? Uh, Senate Republicans just blocked a measure by Democrats that would have actually both funded the government and raised a debt ceiling. Uh, Now, remember, Democrats are in a tricky spot in the Senate. The Senate is evenly split right now, 50-50, with Vice President Harris being able to cast a tie-breaking vote. But that means that the Democrats need all Democrats to vote together, all 50 of them, Uh, something that is proving to be easier said than done. So, what does all this mean exactly? Well, if we hit our debt ceiling limit and can no longer borrow any more money, uh, it means we we broke. We officially broke, uh, like broke broke. Uh, it would mean that we would start, of course, missing payments that we owe to some pretty big lenders. Uh, this, of course, then starts to have ripple effects throughout the financial markets both in the United States and around the world and, of course, jeopardizes our credit rating and that sort of thing as a country. So lots of really not good consequences. On the budget side of things, if we don't pass a bill to fund the government, we probably have enough cash to make it through like October 18th, before things start to get real. Uh, at that point, you'd see government agencies start to shut down, national park facilities close, longer processing times for passports and visas, etc. cetera. Uh, Some essential services would still go on. We'd still be paying out social security and Medicare. Obviously the air traffic control and the military is still going to function. Uh, things like that will still operate. Um, But you would have to look at images on TV of school kids that traveled all the way to Washington, D.C. to go to the Smithsonian only to find it closed. Uh, The longest shutdown you might remember was back in 2018, which lasted for a whole 35 days, uh, which meant that some people had to figure out what to do cooped up in their house for 35 days. I wonder what that's like being stuck in your house with nowhere to be for days on end. Anyway, the whole reason we're in this predicament is because instead of acting like responsible adults and passing all 12 appropriations bills needed to fund the government forever ago, Congress said no thank you and has instead been funding the government on a series of what are called continuing resolutions, essentially little holdover pieces of legislation to get us through funding the federal government a few months at a time, which definitely sounds like how a country dubbed the greatest country in the world should operate. Uh, So get your popcorn, kids, and if you have a partner or friends that work for the federal government, well, at least they've had a lot of practice in the last 15 months of staying at home, right? And friends, that is it for our beer flight tonight, but stay tuned. After this break, we are going to be back with a recap of this week's mayoral and city council candidate forum. Remember, you are listening to Bouts and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. Alrighty, folks, well, tonight, in lieu of having a special guest um, on the show, you actually are stuck with me, uh, but we are going to actually uh, take a dive into recapping a Tuesday night's Candidate Forum. So, um, as you know, and you might have watched since we had nearly about 200 people uh, watching this thing via Zoom and online, uh, yours truly got to be the host uh, for Tuesday night's uh, Mayoral and City Council Candidate Forum It uh, was co-hosted by United Way of Greater Topeka to be jump ywca of northeast kansas and wibw television um of course this was an event uh, that was uh that was scheduled to be in person um but as you all know we have been in the midst of covid palooza and so we decided the safe thing to do would be to host that event online now i have to tell you while i thought that the online idea was awesome and swell i did have in the back of my mind some questions about um, how people would do with a virtual event uh, particularly given that we have Oh, let's say a, a wide span of generations of uh, that are running for office and, and who would want to attend the forum. But I am here to tell you all that we kind of killed it on Tuesday night. This thing lasted two hours. It was broadcast on Zoom and then we live streamed it onto Facebook and we did not crash a communication satellite. I we only had to tell people to unmute themselves like maybe twice during the whole thing. Um I didn't have to mute any candidates, which was kind of cool and also a little bit sad, like I was was a little bit looking forward uh, to using to using that authority, but everyone actually behaved themselves. Um, it almost made you wonder what it could be like if presidential debates were run like this. Uh, so we had a pretty a pretty awesome setup uh, for uh, for Tuesday night. Had some really good things going on. Um, so some some things to know, you know, as the can as the forum got started, we of course had the candidates do some intros and and uh, and talk a little bit about who they are and you know just some some observations. Um, you know, it's interesting. We have uh, we had first off we had both mayoral candidates um, at the forum, and then we had nine of the eleven candidates running for city council. Um, on so we had um, every candidate from districts uh, from uh, most of the districts. There was only uh, we had district one, Karen Hiller's district where her opponent um, did not uh, did not respond um, to our invitation so we did not have uh, so we did not have her um, on there uh, with us as well um, and then we had Arianne Davis from district 5 running for district 5 who unfortunately had a conflict and could not join us um, but otherwise we had all the candidates there which was pretty cool um, so we had a lot to allow ground to, to cover that night uh, with candidates and uh, so we you know, of course had them start off talking about kind of who they are And it was interesting uh, because we do have incumbents in almost every race except District Five, and the only reason we don't there is because uh, Mike Padilla, the incumbent city council member for District Five, is running for mayor. Um, But all the other districts, um, the incumbent is running for re-election. So from you know incumbents, we heard a lot of people talking about um, kind of some unfinished business, some things that they, some goals they still had that they wanted to get done. A, A lot of them talked about feeling good about the progress that the city's made. But that there were still things that they wanted to to see happen. Um, The other kind of interesting uh, thread, too, from the other candidates was talking about how, you know, they didn't decide to run themselves, but they were, uh, many of them made the point that they were encouraged to run by other people, um, or other people said that they would be good uh, city council members, which I I guess is the thing you're going to say, right? Like, most people aren't going to say that I just woke up and thought I was so freaking awesome that I'm going to run for city council. Like, it probably sounds better to say that other people asked you, but it was just interesting uh, how much uh, people emphasized that, oh, no, no, I was actually asked uh, to, to run. Oh, and then we also had folks, too, showing a lot of love for things that the city um, has provided for them, opportunities they've provided, and so this was kind of their way to, to give back uh, to the community. So it was kind of interesting to hear from, from different people. Um, uh, 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 for their their reasons why they wanted to run for office. Um, Now, the way this forum worked, of course, that was the first question we asked to everybody. We asked them, why are you here? Why are you running for office? Um, And then we had a series of questions that were divided into categories, and we asked each question to a specific candidate. And that candidate got two minutes to respond, and their opponent got one minute to respond. And I'm here to tell you also, the other interesting thing was the time barriers weren't really much of a barrier for folks. Um, you know, there are many times where people didn't even use their full two minutes. Um, and maybe it's because I'm one of those people that if I have a sentence, I'm going to use it. Uh, but we had a lot of folks that said what they needed to say, and then they just... Day, that was it. Um, so it was kind of it kind of interesting to hear how how pithy people could be in their uh, in their responses. Uh, the first question, of course, we went to the mayoral candidates and we asked them, you know, what is the most important issue uh, that Topeka faces? And kind of the common theme for both of them uh, was dealing with uh, population growth um, and you know talking about how we attract people to come to our community um, and engage people who are here. It's interesting. And and Councilman Padilla talked about this when he was on her on our show that you know, he talks about needing to grow our population, but really also wants to make sure we don't lose sight of the people who are in our community right now um, and how we engage with those folks. Um, and Leo Cangiani kind of tied onto that and talked about community perception um, and encouraging community pride and helping people feel uh, proud of their community. And and that's something we hear um, often is that we, you know, we sometimes hear we are our own worst enemy. And so this idea of community pride is something that comes up uh, quite a bit. Um, and so both candidates kind of touched on that idea of, of uh, handling community perception um, and engaging our current folks we have here in addition to wanting to uh, bring more people in. So it was interesting to, to hear that take on that issue. Uh, there's a a good chunk of the first part of the forum that was really dedicated to economic issues, and I have to tell you, for those of you who are drinking uh, while you watch the forum at home, if you took a drink every time someone said that's a loaded question, you probably would have been pretty good and loaded yourself, because uh, that was a, a common response uh, to many of the questions that that we asked, and that was a little intentional. We wanted to ask some pretty big questions to to get people to 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 think on those. Um, you know the other theme, not just in the the economic section, but throughout uh, the forum, there was a lot of talk about equity uh, and inclusion and what that means in our community, uh, more so than I think I've heard um, for sure in past city council uh, elections. And that came both from the candidates and from the audience members that were commenting in the chat box on the side. Um, a special shout out to Kristen Hammer with YWCA who moderated our uh, comment section uh, because that section was hopping. Uh, during that forum, and there were questions uh, and thoughts coming in left and right. So, thankfully, we had someone to kind of curate those questions as they came in because people had thoughts and they had questions as time went on. Uh, but that theme of, of equity and inclusion really was present uh, throughout, and it came up even in these questions of, uh, in uh, economic issues. You know, we talked about tax increment financing districts, community improvement districts. You know, rather the city council needed to make any uh, adjustments to how the, the credit. Criteria that's used for deciding those districts. Um, uh, Regina Platt, one of the candidates for District 3C, um, talked about providing the same opportunity and meeting business owners where they are, talking about equity. Um, her opponent, Sylvia Ortiz, the incumbent councilwoman in that district, um, was very explicit um, in her feelings that uh, there needed to be some adjustments made to that criteria. And she actually pointed out uh, a business owner that she knew of um, who uh, felt that who she felt did not have the same advantages that other other business owners in the community did when it came to taking advantage of those TIF and cid districts for their developments um, so some strong some strong feelings there Um, I will mention you know, from a lot of candidates as we talked about economic development, a lot of them were pretty complimentary um, of a lot of the economic development that has happened to this point um, in the city. Um, There's a lot of, especially from the incumbents, um, which of course, again, if you're an incumbent member of the city council, it probably would behoove you to speak well of the work you've done um, on the council, but there's a lot of comments about feeling proud about what they've done we asked, We talked a lot about JADO, um, and this was really interesting too, you know, when I first kind of really started paying attention to things in Topeka, uh, JADO, well, there are a lot of things going on about JADO, but JADO's uh, focus was really on how to recruit those big businesses to Topeka, the things like the Mars plants, the Walmart distribution centers, those really big businesses um, that bring lots of jobs uh, to the community. Um, where we really spent a lot of time talking um, at this forum was really about you know what else can Jado do? So Jado can can bring all these dollars in to uh, bring big businesses in, but what can Jado do to support the employees who work for those businesses? Um, so yeah, I encourage you, if you get the chance, the, the forum is still on the United Way Facebook page um, where you can go and watch it. Um, but folks had lots of interesting comments about what else Jado could be doing besides just bringing the business um, here. You know, we had uh, Greg Bland running for for District Nine, who who talked about um, supporting workers and talk about transportation um, issues, and so you know we've got um, uh, transportation for workers who live and work uh, who, excuse me who work in that that South Topeka area, um, and how to get them out to those factories, how to get folks out to the Walmart distribution center and and the Mars uh, factory and those kinds of things. Um, you know we had uh, a question about transparency um, in Jado come up. That's been as long as I've been involved all the things, there's always this question about transparency that kind of hangs out there um, for JADO because it does receive a ton of money um, that they get to give out in the community and by nature of what JADO does in economic development and recruiting businesses to the community some of that does have to be uh, done with some uh, degree of discretion maybe is the word to use, um, but you know of course anytime you're talking about public dollars and, and that sort of thing issues of transparency always come up um, there was a, an interesting note from Joel Campbell, canning uh, in District 7, um, about he kind of alluded to some missing uh, JADO dollars, um, and I have to admit that is not a, a, an issue that I am readily familiar with, but he alluded to dollars that were missing from the JADO um, budget and used that to kind of talk about a lack of transparency um, amongst amongst JADO. So lots of really interesting and different talk about JADO than, um, than we've heard before. Um, we also talked a little bit about infrastructure. Uh, those of you that listened to last week's episode um, heard uh, Leo Cangiani talk about this pavement condition index. That is a, a favorite measure that he likes to talk about when he talks about roads. That's something you can look up more information on on the City of Topeka's website, but he talked about his goal of really wanting to uh, to boost our pavement condition index score. I think he wanted to boost it by somewhere around 20 points, which I, don't, I have no idea how that index works in full disclosure uh, about how dramatic of an increase that Is but seems seems like a pretty big, uh, pretty big increase. Uh, But that is one of his goals when it comes to uh, infrastructure improvements in the community. Um, yeah, you know, I mentioned uh, lots of talk about equity. We actually did have a whole section of the of questions for the forum dedicated just to issues of questions of ac- equity and access. Um, and so we talked a lot of in this area, uh, mostly about housing. And housing was probably another key theme from uh, the night that emerged. We had a lot of the candidates and a lot of question, a lot of audience members too, asking questions about housing um, and about how we would support affordable housing in the community, um, and specifically, of course, um, we have the Housing Trust Fund uh, that the Topeka City Council uh, just created, um, and this uh, fund is its its in its first year, it's in its infancy. Um, right now, anyone could donate to the trust fund. The City of Topeka um, has committed to match dollar for dollar the first $250,000 that are donated to the trust fund. Um, the goal is to get to a million dollars um, in that first year of the Housing Trust Fund. Uh, that money is then due to be allocated into a number of different areas um, that will support uh, the growth of affordable housing in the community. And so it's money that goes to everything from repairs to help people get into um, code compliance, uh, to be able uh, to have money that goes to incentivize uh, landlords and and folks like that as well. There's a number of different uh, areas that that money um, could be spent in. And so there's lots of attention. This has been, as we talked about in the show before, that the idea of building a housing trust fund has been a long-term discussion on Council so now that we have made that jump and finally get into it um, there's lots of discussion first on how do we sustain this fund yeah I mentioned that there's this million dollar goal in the first year that we're matching those dollar donations from the city's behalf in this first year Um, but then what and so we actually asked the case specifically so after this first year is done how do we continue uh, to keep that fund sustainable Um, and you know to listen to the reaction from the audience I don't think the audience was necessarily satisfied that that candidates answer that question. Um, I don't think that the audience really saw um, any concrete uh, solutions identified for that. So that is surely going to be a further topic of discussion through, throughout this campaign. I mean, a lot a number of the candidates did acknowledge that we do have a housing crisis um, in our community uh, for a number of reasons and that there could be a number of potential um, solutions to it. Uh, we did ask the candidates, um, specifically outside of the housing trust fund, um, would you be in favor of other? What other kind of policies would you be in favor with that can help with the housing issue? Uh, we gave the example of things like some communities that have expanded their eviction moratorium um, and asked if they would be in favor of that. Uh, no one no one bid on that question. I don't think anyone wanted to touch that, that eviction moratorium uh, question, but um, they did talk about wanting to look at things um, like code enforcement, for instance. Um, uh, this was something that uh, Councilman uh, Lesser spent some time talking about. How do we help people uh, how do we help code enforcement have the tools they need to be able to enforce um, city codes? Um, it, you know, bears mentioning, too, Councilman Emerson. I think we had him on last year in the first season. They talked about um, code compliance issues and that sort of thing as well um, and how we work together um, with individuals to handle those issues that have become now code compliance um, issues. Uh, Councilman Lester also alluded to um, a lot of these, uh, in my words, some lords um, that are folks from out-of-town that own properties in town in see, Topeka that aren't taking care of them. Um, and he did mention one of those landlords that's having his property head to a tax sale right now, and really the importance of rooting out some of those really uh, bad, uh, bad landlords in our community. We did ask both the candidates for mayor about how to um, how do you you know how do you work to engage a diverse population in our community? How do you make sure um, that we're engaging with um, uh, communities of color, uh, folks from the LGBTQ community, uh, uh, neighborhoods that are in poverty, all the different typically historically marginalized groups in our community? Um, And of course, Councilman Padilla was quick to point out that no one can ensure anything in public service, um, but he he really spoke about. About being intentional um, and and in what we do um, and what the city council does um, and and wanted to remind people of our responsibilities to the community. Uh, Leo Ciancianni of course spoke from some personal experience, um, talked about his uh, his own life as an immigrant, which some of you may have heard on our, our last episode. As he talked about kind of his his life story um, and says that you know he knows what underserved means, um, and so he wanted to really look at creating this kind of central hub of programming um, to. to to really boost community involvement for everyone in our community. Uh, we touched, of course, on public safety a little bit, uh, both on kind of two sides. Um, looked at both the policy side and kind of the community services side of the issue, and so we talked with uh, Councilwoman Hiller. Um, got to hear her talk about her take on how the city, what kind of on a policy side, what can the city do uh, to reduce firearm deaths. Um, and it was interesting. Her response really talked about lobbying the state to allow for more local control um, for firearms uh, 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 ordinances in the community. And so this alludes back to a, a time when uh, cities did have more freedom uh, to enact their own ordinances and laws regarding gun controls in their communities. Uh, but that option was then taken away um, not too far, not too long afterward. Um, and so so she said that you know, that was one of her areas um, as well. You know, she also touched a little bit on um, TPD and on responsibilities of, of law enforcement um, and talked about things like personnel reviews, for instance. Instance um, of uh, TPD officers and being able to um, to monitor uh, those as well. Yeah, I think that's probably a reference to the most recent round of negotiations um, that they had on TPD um, contracts. When it came to um, you know what, uh, how do uh, when uh, when officers have marks in their personnel file um, that relate to incidents that involve um, a, a weapon being discharged? You know what kind of bearing do those incidents have on the officers? Uh, Review, personnel review. And that was addressed. um, As we talked about in the last episode, uh, there are some changes made to that um, as part of those contract negotiations. Um, on the community services side, we heard from uh, Councilwoman Sylvia Ortiz in District Three, and and you know she she had a, a really poignant statement or a powerful statement that she says she hears from residents sometime. Um, you know she said that it's sad for her when she hears people say um, that they're not going to make it past the age of twenty. That uh, those are conversations that she has heard from people in her her district and talked about the importance of educating people from a young age um, about gun safety and those kinds of things. Uh, her Opponent, Regina Platt um, talked about, in addition to mentorship opportunities for for people in the community, um, really talked about entrepreneurship and how do we um, how do we help people um, grow businesses, grow ideas in our community so that they feel kind of connected and, and have a stake in their, in their communities, um, as well as partnering uh, with other agencies to address things like mental health um, uh, challenges in our community. And of course, because you gotta remember the folks that are co-hosting this forum, so we had the League of Women Voters, we had YWCA, United Way. All these groups are pretty uh, have a pretty vested interest in uh, voter uh, voter turnout, voter education. So of course, we had to ask some questions about that. Um, One of the things the City Council will have on their plate in twenty twenty two is redistricting, Um, and so we decided to ask, you know, what do uh, what will what will you as a City Council member look for um, in redistricting to make sure that Council districts are being drawn fairly. Um, and so we we threw that question to those candidates in District 5. Um, and um, you know, both uh, Brett Kell and Marcus Clark, Pastor Clark, the candidates for that district, um, talked about the importance of, of diversity and equity and inclusion um, in evaluating those, those districts. Um, Mr. Kell alluded to uh, kind of the odd shape of District 5 um, and District 3. When you look at those two districts combined, um, there is, especially on District 3's behalf, which is currently represented by uh, Sylvia Ortiz. Um, that district, if you, I encourage you to look, at, take a look at a map of it and it does some funky things. Um, and it's interesting, there's some really kind of weird appendages that go on um, in that district that kind of almost make it a little disjointed in some ways. And it, in fact, as Mr. Kell alluded to, there's some areas of, of uh, District Five that maybe more belong in District Three. And it's just cut up really weird. And so he alluded to that as an example. Um, It does bear mentioning as some context to this discussion, too. The city council, there are actually ordinances in place that govern what the redistricting process looks like. And I'm sure we'll talk all about that more um, on a later episode. But there are um, a a number of things that, um, for instance, there's a committee that has to be put together by the city council to start this process. Um, And there's all kinds of rules they have to follow when it comes to, um, you know, regarding population totals. I think there's uh, something that says each district should not have any more than one ninth of the population population in their, in their district, um, you know, it talks about things like what you can use, um, what the committee can consider when they're drawing districts, and, and actually, I believe the ordinance actually prohibits that committee from using um, voter information like political party and things like that, uh, that prohibits them from taking that information into account when drawing those districts. So, it's a little bit more buttoned up than the, the kind of fireworks you see in the redistricting process at the legislature or definitely in Congress, um, but it is no less uh, important. So more, more to come on that. Uh, there's also, we also decided to ask the question you know, what happens if um, you as a candidate, if your beliefs uh, differ from those of your constituents? Um, and so interestingly enough, we had, uh, it was uh, Joel Campbell um, was the first one that responded to, to this question. And he talked about recognizing that issue and wanting to provide some kind of forum um, or way for people to be able to reach out to him so he can have kind of open conversations with people. Uh, now, I should pause here when speaking about uh, Joel Campbell's candidacy um, to note that you know the the elephant in the room, and, and actually some folks called it out straight up in the chat section. Of the of the forum uh, was that there are a lot of questions about uh, Joe Campbell's ties um, to the Proud Boys, which is an organization that's been uh, that's been recognized as a hate group um, in the country, and of course has ties to the the insurrection that happened back on January sixth and lots of other really um, uh, ugly incidents that have happened throughout the community. Um, that that discussion did not come up uh, during the debate, um, neither by himself um, nor by by the questions that um, that we asked in the in the pre. Uh, the pre-formatted questions that were made um, for the, 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 the debate, um, but it was certainly something uh, that audience members queued, queued in on um, and several of them uh, wrote their observations in the comments about uh, Mr. Campbell's behaviors and his affiliations um, with that group. Um, and so it will be interesting to see how much more discussion there is about his uh, connection to the Proud Boys um, as, the, as the campaign goes on. Yeah, uh, you know, we also talked about, of course, what what role the city council should play in voter education uh, in the community. And so, yeah, of course, we had Councilman Lesser talking about the establishment of the youth council that happened here just a few years ago. Um, and then, of course, Mister Bland, Greg Bland, had probably our favorite response of the night when he talked about, you know, the importance of not of educating citizens um, about voting and civic engagement, but doing it more than just at election time. Which we wanted to, if I could have just Shout, shout out, uh, stood up and screamed Yes, that probably would have been the time To do it, and, you know, he pointed out the fact That conversations should be happening year round And that is absolutely true And spoiler alert, uh, stay tuned For some things that may be coming your way um, To that effect, because that is absolutely correct We know that if we can engage In conversations with people year round About who's the, What's going on in the city council Who their city council members are, why they should be Paying attention, it makes it a hell of a a lot easier when it comes time to election time to get people to actually go out to the polls. Um, So lots of really interesting conversations that happen there. Um, And then of course, then we got to audience questions, um, and I mentioned we had uh, Kristen from the YWCA, who was probably very tired uh, by the end of that night, kind of compiling questions, and we did not get to every question um, that was answered asked because there are just so many, um, and so we know that we unfortunately did not get to all the questions that were asked, uh, but we tried to pick a variety, and so you know, we had a question about the uh, Central Topeka Oasis group. Um, that's the group that's working on bringing a new grocery store uh, to Central Topeka um, after the closure of the Dillons there. Uh, we asked that question, pitched that question to the mayoral candidates. Both of them um, said that they would support the findings and the recommendations of the Central Topeka um, Oasis group. Uh, Leo Canjani pointed out um, living near there. He felt the effect um, of that Dillon's leaving in that community. Um, we also posed that question to uh, uh, Karen Hiller. Um, her district, District 1, actually includes um, that area where the Dillon's used to be. Um, and so she was, uh, in her response, she really wanted to look at, um, at outcomes. Uh, she said, yeah, you know, that would be her determinant in really looking at what solution um, we go with going forward, but look at what, what outcomes we're trying to, to reach there. Uh, we also posed that question to the candidates in uh, district three to both Sylvia Ortiz and Regina Platt, um, both of whom were in favor of, of uh, the Oasis group's work in line to consider that recommendation when it, uh, when it comes forward. Uh, we also had a question uh, about keeping Washburn graduates in the community, which of course, a question near and dear to, to my heart, um, you know, about how do we keep um, uh, Washburn students uh, uh, in uh, Topeka after they graduate, and so we threw that question at uh, Councilwoman Hiller, um, who talked about uh, you know, that that is important, that she thinks that there's a lot of things that have happened um, in recent years that will really help um, uh, keep young people in the community. She pointed out things like the Development of uh, Wheatfield Village bikeways, trails, those kinds of things that quality of place, um, things that she uh, that she alluded to, uh, that she feels are going to really help uh, uh, really help keep those students in the community. And she also talked about um, recognizing that the student leaders at Washburn, those students are ones who really want to be engaged in the community, um, and so how do we help them do that from an early age uh, during their time at Washburn and get them plugged in early, so hopefully they'll stay um, they'll stay after. Word. Um, so some some good uh, uh, some good thoughts uh, some good thoughts there some interesting thoughts when it comes to uh, how we keep Washburn grads in the community. Uh, We also had a really interesting question um, come through from an audience member um, who asked specifically about JADO, um, but specifically about the Nick Childs building downtown um, and the possibility of JADO um, using their dollars uh, to protect this historic building that was important to African-American business development in the community. Um, And now I unfortunately have to admit that I uh, have heard the name Nick Childs before. Um, but was not um, Have not been uh, Was really not up On, on who he was um, And so I Of course Right after the forum uh, Went home and did some research um, And found And there's all kinds We'll be posting some of this On our social media um, For uh, ballots and brews um, But Nick Childs Was actually the editor And publisher Of the Topeka Plain Dealer um, For uh, for decades um, He was African American Which was uh, The Topeka Plain Dealer An African American newspaper That was based here in Topeka And it quickly became the best-selling African-American publication west of the Mississippi. Um, and Again, that was based right here and published right here um, out of Topeka. Um, and so, of course, that building um, exists um, right now in, in our community still um, where, where the Plain Dealer was based. Um, and so there was a question about whether Jado could um, use dollars to uh, protect uh, that building. And so we had uh, Councilman Neil Dobler um, responded to that question, and, and he said that he would be in favor of Jado using um, some of their dollars. Uh, to support historic preservation. Um, and Joel Campbell, his opponent, said that um, he would be as well. Um, interesting, again, when we talk about all the different ways that Jado can can be used these days, um, again, this is another example. Historic preservation was not something that was really in the mix um, early on when, uh, when people would discuss Jado in um, years before. So a- another really interesting take on Jado's uh, responsibility. Uh, this question of balancing development with the preservation of history um, and heritage in the so he actually came up a couple of times in audience uh, questions. And uh, we actually had uh, Councilman uh, Mike Lesser um, also uh, took on that, that question. Um, and he had an interesting quote and he said, you know, just because something is old doesn't mean it's historic. Uh, he was also quoting the show Pond Stars, which I believe um, I don't think anyone had a Pond Stars quote on their uh, forum drinking uh, drinking game for the night. Um, but, you know, he, he talked about running into challenges sometimes where our buildings that are, are simply old. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're historic and need to be protected. Um, his opponent, Greg Bland, um, responded that while he agrees with part of that, he he really said, know, yeah, we really need to look at who is a building or site valuable to." Uh, which I thought was an interesting way of considering things. Um, you see, y'all, you know, just because something is not valuable to one community doesn't mean it's not valuable to someone else. Um, so again, more of those issues of equity and inclusion um, being discussed. Now, you know, we had uh, questions uh, come in about addressing blight in the community. Um, and so we threw that question to the candidates for mayor. Uh, Councilman Padilla um, talked about actually what we just talked about earlier in the show tonight about the importance of those public-private partnerships. Um, and made a point that, you know, just because an area is blighted doesn't mean the people in that area aren't committed um, and don't care about their community. And that we really need to reach out and ask um, folks what they would like to see their community look like and talked about engagement with the community. Um, for his part, uh, Leo Cangiani um, stressed uh, accountability um, and being able to hold uh, landlords and developers accountable for their work um, in those communities. Um, and of course, we have to finish off by referencing another audience question that came in that again just shows that this is what this is why local government is great because these are the kind of issues that come up. We had a question uh, come in from someone wanting to know what um, the folks in running for District 9, uh, Mike Lesser and Greg plan what they would do about the traffic at 21st and Westport. Uh, Now I for one am just glad that I am not the only one that faces issues with traffic at 21st and Westport uh, because I'm here to tell you that I was on Westport one time trying to turn west from Westport on 21st street and I still have flashbacks as to how long I waited uh, to make that turn uh, west and how much grief I also got because there are other people in the car with me who uh, alluded to the foolishness of me trying to make that decision but I'm glad it is not just Me uh, that suffers at 21st and Westport, and and the other best part about it was uh, Councilman Lester's response was, "I have no quote, I have no freaking idea um, on what we can do um, yeah. about that about that area." And and I think some people, some of our audience appreciated the honesty um, in that question. Uh, for his part, too, Greg Bland, his opponent, said, "Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how you handle that um, either." Uh, Mike Lester did talk about you know having perhaps a traffic study that can look at traffic flows, and, and you know did come on what a good problem it is to have that we have so much development that's happened um, in that area uh, that's causing those those traffic backups now. But there you go. If, if anyone else is, is out there who has had uh, who has been victimized by uh, the intersection at 21st and Westport, um, you should know that you are not alone, that there are other people um, that have suffered issues there as well. Um, so, folks, again, I mentioned that the forum is available on the United Way of Topeka Facebook page for you to go back in and review. View and hear these questions more in depth there were really some fascinating responses and discussion happening with our uh, candidates for mayor and for city council so i encourage you to check that out um so go ahead and stay tuned folks after this break we are going to wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night that'll be right after this break again you are listening to ballots and brews here on KSF 785 live radio Alright folks, it's time to wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night. And tonight's moment is actually pretty simple and we kind of talked about it already, but we just cannot emphasize enough how important it is for our candidates for local office to hear from you. Uh, so just a couple things. Uh, first off, that mayoral and city council candidate forum that we talked about earlier, um, that forum is still available to watch at any time on the United Way of Greater Topeka Facebook page. You can just go back there and watch that uh, event to your Heart's content. Um, you can see how your candidates answered or didn't answer uh, the questions um, and really find out more about where they stand in advance of Election Day. Um, we also challenge you to share that link with at least one or two other people in your network. Remember, the biggest reason people tend not to get that people tend to get for not wanting to vote in local elections is not knowing about the candidates. So let's get rid of that reason and make sure to share the information far and wide. Uh, next, did you hear? something in that forum that piqued your interest or that made you mad or maybe something you didn't hear, something you wish the candy had mentioned. Follow up with those candidates. Uh, We're going to be posting their contact information on our social media pages, um, but you can also go to the Shawnee County Election webpage, which is located at snco.us slash election. Again, that is snco.us slash election. Then scroll to the middle of the page where it says 2021 election information. Underneath it, you're going to see a blue button that says 2021 general election official candidate list. You're going to go ahead and Click on that bad boy and from there you will find the emails and phone numbers for all of the candidates running for public office. Um, again snco.us election middle of the screen 2021 general election information and then 2021 general election official candidate list um, to get that list of all the candidates emails and their cell phone numbers. I encourage you reach out to them respectfully of course um, but ask them those burning questions you have and hold them accountable. And of course remember that the deadline to register to vote in this fall's election is October 12th, and you can head to ksvotes.org uh, to register to vote, check your registration status, or even order an advance ballot to be sent to you, uh, which is an important option, especially in this day and age. Um, a reminder, to our friends at the Topeka and Shawnee County Public Library are also hosting the Shawnee County Election Office for in-person voter registration um, on the fall, over the following uh, couple of weeks. Uh, so some good information to know there. Folks, that is our show for tonight. Uh, we are so excited that you could join us uh, again um, as we got to nerd out about all things happening local, state, and even a little national politics tonight. Uh, remember to keep up with us all during the week. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at, at ballots brews. We even live tweet all of our episodes. So shout out to any of you all that are live tweeting with us right now. Uh, we'll be posting more resource information, of course, on our social media pages as time goes on as well. Um, but until next time, folks, please 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 stay safe wear your mask get your vaccine all those things we're supposed to be doing drink some good beer and we'll see you next week here on ballots and brews on KSF 785 live radio
2: Sun over every boy and every girl closing time one last call for alcohol so finish your whiskey or beer closing time you don't have to go home but you can't stay